This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Are trends something that design should embrace, or are they a necessary evil? Most designers like to believe that their work transcends trends. It's timeless and a very specific reflection of their aesthetic and their clients' needs and desires. Yet there's no denying that trends are big business. They create excitement, spur change, and can motivate clients to renew and refresh their homes. So how do designers respond to trends, keep current and fashionable without losing their focus on what makes their work distinctive? What are the trends ahead in 2022? How do you know which ones to pay attention to and which to ignore? And how do you keep ahead of trends so that your work never looks expected or, heaven forbid, dated? I'm fortunate to have with us three women who are expert at navigating this enticing but risky territory. Patty Carpenter actually works with trends for a living. As a principal of Carpenter and Company slash Trendscope, she specializes in predicting, expanding, and adapting trends in home decor, accessories, fragrances, and gifts, and she especially enjoys supporting artisans and small producers. She serves as a consultant for Pantone and has worked with such renowned brands and retailers as Bloomingdale's, Zafara, Crate and & Barrel, and Ralph Lauren. Hello, Patty. Hi, how are you, Michael? It's lovely to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. After a career in fashion and more than a decade working with Nate Berkus, Chicago-based designer Sasha Adler launched her own firm and now creates rooms that are tailored and understated, but always enlivened with rich colors, contemporary details, and lighting, bold and sculptural furnishings, and powerful artworks. Her designs are always classic, but never boring or predictable. Welcome, Sasha. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad you're here. We're also lucky to have with us Tiffany Howell, who founded her L.A. firm Night Palm after successful stints in fashion, do I detect a trend here, and (laughs) film production. For her creative and celebrity clients, she crafts moody and romantic rooms that always have a glam rock element. Her interiors are spare but sumptuous, richly colored and beautifully detailed, of the moment yet serene. Hello, Tiffany. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad we're here to talk about a really fun topic, one God knows people are obsessed with. As an editor, I was charged with predicting trends, and not always successfully, I might add. But I think it's something that really we tend to underestimate the power of. And that's one reason I'm excited to have Patty with us, because, Patty, you know how big a business trends can be and how risky it can be if you get a trend wrong. So I'd love it if you talk a little bit how you got into this business. Like, how did you become a trend forecaster? Because it's a little scary. Yeah, it absolutely can be. I actually came at it through fashion, so it seems like we all oh, have. Oh, it is a trend. <laughs> that then. is our background. I, I was a designer of women's wear and accessories on I 7th Avenue for that. many, many years and started my own firm about, it's 20 years ago actually now. And I always talked about color and trend, even in my work as a designer and all the way up through being a vice president, design and merchandising. And I found that I had an aptitude for speaking about color, which my the people who were on the business side of business always applauded because they understood the reasoning. They understood the way that I came to decision-making around what it was going to be. And I really realized at the end of the day that 
that skill translates to whatever you're talking about. And so as I moved over into home, I found that there were not as many people that were focused on it in the same way that I was. And so that's really how I started to do it. But it's really about understanding, you know, looking at what's coming, understanding the word trend is really about, you know, the direction that then things will tend to move. And so it's that idea of understanding the big macro trends that impact all of us as consumers and then distilling that down to whatever product or or style one might be using for something specific as a project or product. Right. You know, I always think of that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where Meryl Streep as Anna, Anna Winter was like, you know, that turquoise schmata you're wearing, the whole business of it, it is a huge business. And often these trends, what we think of as trends, start years ahead of time. So how does that work? Is it, I mean, like if you work with Pantone, Pantone, I think, inspires colors for appliances, cars. How does it work? Ex- you know, not exactly, because I don't expect you to go into a thesis <laughs> here, but, you know, sort of generally, how does it work? Well, first, I have to tell you that literally in the theater, because that was my life in fashion for many Mm -hmm. years, the Devil Wears Prada, my partner and I stood up and applauded when she gave that whole talk about Cerulean. So that (laughs) is truly (laughs) how it starts. For me, I love it because it really is just about being observational. It's about always Mm -hmm. taking a look at everything around you. I'm particularly drawn to art, to anything cultural, dance, theater, music. All of those really inspire what's going on because they're all affecting what we're seeing as the zeitgeist as humans, what's going on in terms of a macro trend. Years ago, I coined the the acronym SPENT, and this really sort of sums it up. All of us who look at what we're doing as forecasters definitely are looking many, many years out, depending on the product. Some have to be closer, some need to be farther just because of the time it takes Mm -hmm. to produce them. But you're always looking at the S is social, the P is political, the E is in the economic overview of what's going on, the N is nature, and the T is technology. Those are the big buckets that we're all looking at. And then it drives down from there into things like pop culture, under social, et cetera. But that's really how it all lays out. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Now, Sasha, I wanted to ask you, obviously, all three of you were in fashion. So fashion is a a quick trend generator. In one season can be out two years later or a year later. Home is a little slower, obviously. But how do you think about trends? I mean, I consider your work as being sort of classic in the classic tradition of elegant decorating, but yet it has a lot of energy. And how do you think about Mm -hmm. How do you approach that? Well, my background is in fashion and my true love is fashion. And then I got into interior design. So I'm always thinking about how fashion translates. Interiors obviously have to... Fashion, you can wear something, you know, take a bigger risk one day and then go back to something traditional and classic the next day. But interiors are really meant to stand the test of time and you're investing in them and you want them to, you know, go the long distance. But for me, I'm always looking at fashion details and thinking of how that translates to my interiors. And so I'm tearing things out of fashion magazines, whether it be like a color palette that I love from the runway or a fringe detail or a tween fabric and how it's mixed with something else, or even thinking of things that aren't as trendy, but that are more classic fashion details. For instance, like how Chanel has the chain at the bottom of their jackets to Mm -hmm. have them hang straight. We just added that we had an issue with drapery recently and we actually had a little chain instilled at the bottom so that it hangs straight on the floor. So just details of how things kind of go back and forth. So my true love is fashion. And I love to think of how those details work in an interior design realm. Gotcha. And Tiffany, the last time we did this episode about trends, all the designers said, oh no, I'm not into trends. And then I 
poke them a little, as is my want. Yes. And they all ended up saying, yes, they love trends and what, which ones they love and which ones they don't. And I think one thing that emerged from that was that it's often the clients yeah. who want to think. And you have a lot of, shall we say, celebrity clients. So I'd love to know how savvy are your clients and how trend obsessed are they? Are they aware? Do you urge yes. them to look at things? Yeah, I think definitely a lot of my younger creative clients are definitely very into trends. And so my job is always kind of navigating and working through the trends that I feel are going to kind of fall away eventually and like directing them towards more the classic trends that we call it at our design firm, like the David Bowie of trends, because sure, he like changed through each era, but he was always so cool, you know? Right, right. And so that's what I always tell my clients. I said, okay, we can pick and choose, you know, maybe a couple throwaway trends that, you know, you can get rid of next year, but those investment pieces, they've right. got to be David Bowie. Right. You don't want to be throwing away a $20,000 sofa necessarily. I mean, people do, but I would hope that they don't. Yeah. Right. And in terms of what you're looking at, because you're in LA, yeah. is it a lot of movies and sets? I mean, I find them very inspiring. Or do you look at yes. history? Where do you go to for your resources? Yeah. In fact, I was thinking about trends and stuff. And a lot of stuff that I'm doing right now is kind of cinematic interiors. People are very interested. I work with cinematographers and it's like, specific lighting and specific moods and colors. In fact, we use... Well, okay, so I do a sensory study with each client. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our foundational thing. And so we talk about favorite movies, favorite music. And a lot of times we explain the room as a song. So it could be like a Coltrane oh. song. I'm like, you know, I want this to feel like a moody John Coltrane song. And then we lean into that. So our inspiration actually originally starts from feel. And even the trends that I'm kind of seeing right now all are more feel-based versus visual-based, if that makes sense. And I think that my clients are, are, you know, they're very into fashion. They're very into movies. They're very into music. So this, they relate to it. Right. Now, that's so interesting you said that because one of the things, Patty, I wanted to ask you about was it seems to me that obviously color has always been influential and a big trend, but it seems to me of late that there's been a lot more interest in texture. Like you were saying, Tiffany, the feel of things and like suddenly everywhere you're seeing like boucle upholstery fabrics. Again, Sasha acknowledging Chanel here. A lot of chairs look like they're upholstered in Chanel suits these days <laughs> or whatever. And you see a lot of these fluffy fabrics and how does that come about? Why do you think that happens? I mean, yeah, people are looking back to Joe Ponte, people are looking back to Italian mid-century, but how does that get translated down? I think there's several reasons for it, but I have to just speak for a moment to what Tiffany just said, because not being an interior designer, but working with several of them and having just done this big kaleidoscope project with 23 designers, one of our groups of designers said that they always look at a room like Diana Ross and the Supremes. Everything can't be... Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, some things have to be Diana Ross. They're going to stay. And some things have to be the Supremes. The backup, and right. And they can be trade out. So I love the idea of the musical right. you know, analogy. That was fabulous. I love that. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, so it. And speaking to emotion, when you talk about mm -hmm. what's going on in terms of texture, that also ties into what you were just saying about things being emotional. That's actually one of the bigger trends as a macro trend that we see happening. 
If you think about how we've moved over the last several years, we went from this sense of consumerism where we were just buying up, buying up. That's what spawned fast fashion. We moved into this whole idea of experiential, people wanting experience from every space and product that they had. And now we're moving into this time of emotion. And the pandemic has really pushed us in that direction. People have really gotten in touch by sort of, you know, settling, by becoming still, by slowing down. So this whole idea of what's going on with texture sort of speaks to that as well, because it's about engagement. If you think about also this last two years almost, we've been on a Zoom meeting for almost everything. Mm -hmm. Wood looks like stone, looks like glass, looks like ceramic. You can't engage with it. Whereas when you get out in the world and you touch and engage with a product, that's where the emotion comes in and boucles and ribs and pleating and rougher hewn weaves, Mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things really engage us to interact. Velvets even engage us to interact with a product. And that's what we really want to do as human beings that's how we connect to our surroundings. Right. And that's so interesting. Sasha, like one of the things I noticed about your work, you know, I haven't seen a lot of it in person, obviously, but in <laughs> photographs, is the detailing. And I think this speaks to what Patty was saying, you know, these sort of like dressmaker details, we're seeing a lot more trims and passementerie. Is that something that your clients have responded to? Have you suggested that to them? Is that something that it's just primal to your work? And how do you approach those kind of details? I love detail and I love getting into every single detail. And sometimes, I'll, you know, I care about what the hinge looks like and I care about what the screw looks like on the toilet paper holder. And so I'll have clients that care about all of that and love the attention to detail. And then I'll have clients being like, we need to draw the line. Like, let's <laughs> zoom out and focus bigger picture. So like, I care about every single thing. My husband always jokes, like, something's got to give. Like, you care about fashion. You care about interiors. You care about... And I'm always like, I don't care that much about cars. So, like, that's my one, like, you know, thing. But <laughs> Leave that to him. <laughs> I think that's... I always find it strange when someone is very into fashion and doesn't care about their home or very into jewelry, but doesn't care about hardware. Like, to me, you either care about aesthetics or you don't. And it's so fascinating to me that people are have very, like, focused things that they, mm-hmm. you know, Narrow. care about. Right. Narrow. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it is funny. Tiffany, and the, you live in LA, which is obviously a big proponent of indoor-outdoor living. But I think oh, yeah. one of the things that the pandemic did, besides tuning all our emotions, as Patty was saying, yeah. but I think it's like, clearly one of the big trends was greater attention to outdoors, you know, and spending time outside. Even in the Northeast where I am, where it gets cold in winter, people now... You know, you can still spend seven or eight months outdoors and people are spending a lot more money on their outdoor furniture and their outdoor spaces and fire pits and outdoor kitchens and all of that. And is that something that I would assume has long been the case in L.A., but is that something that you see a greater engagement with outdoors among your clients, nature? Oh, for sure. I mean, kind of to take what you were talking about with both of them, it's it's the emotional landscape of design. It's like, that romanticism, that's the trend that I'm seeing. It's like this romanticism with like nature and interior spaces and the details. And it was like kind of remembering how to dream again, a lot of clients. And so being unable to travel, you know, I see a lot of clients like, I want my outside to feel like a Tuscan villa. It's almost like playing these ideas of where they want to be and romanticizing them and like injecting them into their home. I even have clients that are actually moving homes from a more modern kind of very colder and straight line place to Spanish with like soft curves and indoor outdoor living and like really creating 
romantic moments for their home. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been noticing that, you know, on Instagram or whatever, or even in ad layouts in the backgrounds and movies, there seems to be a little bit of shift away from the total modern white spaces to more yeah. traditional. And like, I mean, we can't even count how many floral wallpapers we've been seeing. Yeah, it's wild. Even the more modern homes that we're designing exterior-wise, interior-wise, they're like lime wash. They want like lush suede walls and they want, like Patty was saying, like velvet textures and Mm -hmm. stuff that feels a bit like lusher and sexier. And I think, I mean, it's every single home that I'm doing right now is incorporating that. There is not one person that's wanting kind of like a colder, unattainable, like everything needs to be like extra cozy, even though it's beautiful. But like I said, it's kind of starting first with the feel and then almost like leading into the aesthetic afterwards. Right. It's so interesting. Patty, yes, I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, you were mentioning emotion and I'd love to get your response of why you feel that is. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Based, Tiffany, what you're saying is exactly what we see overall. It's that sense oh, of good. comfort and warmth and engagement because we felt so disconnected for so long. And that sense of wanting, you know, we see curvilinear furniture wrapping around us like right. a warm hug. We see curved sofas, lots of arches, lots of arcs, lots of circles, rounded edges on things. We've been saying, take the edge off. You know, it's no, like we've right. been all yes. sort of gritting our teeth for a year and a half. And now this is one of the ways that that people are, I think, responding to the space that they have to inhabit. We've been saying we want them, they, they really need to realize these wonderful habitats, if you will. They're not just their home. You know, they're really creating something that is very unique to them that gives them this enveloped feeling of warmth. And they want to invite others into that same kind of space. Right. And it's interesting, Sasha, I've noticed this in some of your work. Like one of the things that I've noticed, obviously I've been thinking about trends too, <laughs> in preparation for this, was like lots of deeply tufted furniture, you know, like the old Chesterfields, but mm-hmm. now done in velvets and different softer materials. And I guess that's what you were saying, Patty. People want to be enveloped and welcomed into their own homes. I mean, one advantage of the pandemic, there are hardly any, but <laughs> one thing that came out of it was people did become more home obsessed. And I think maybe those cold-edged apartments and houses that you were talking about, Tiffany, were not you know, spend a lot of time in them. They're great in a photograph, but you spend a lot of time in them and maybe they're not as nurturing. So how does that come about in your work, Sasha? I think in the past two or so years, I've lost track of how long it's been. We've <laughs> all been through the ringer. And what I think is actually trending right now is wanting to feel that comfort within your home. We've all been living in every inch of our home in ways that we never expected to live within our home. You know, we've been working from home and having our children homeschooled and, you know, having to do things entertaining at home when we could. And so what I think is trending amongst my clients is wanting to feel this sense of warmth and coziness and comfort at home, but also having flexibility. So it's the dining table that also you put your laptop down and it becomes your Zoom conference table and a space where your kids can, you know, have lunch, but also take a, you know, I have three children. So we had three children in different areas of our home, homeschooling. My husband and I both work. And so we were trying to find a pocket in the home where we could have quiet and work from there. And then at the end of the day, that needs to convert back to being a functional living space for all of our kids. So What's trending, I think, is fine, you know, making your home really have some flexibility in terms mm-hmm. of how it functions for you. And also, like 
you know, kind of like you said, Patty, like, you know, wrapping around you and providing this comfortable, cozy space. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. You know, the past is a huge smorgasbord. Design history is something we can draw from at any time. But it seems like people now are looking back. Like one of the things I noticed that, you know, ICFF, I went this year, which was finally back. It was small, but it was interesting. Like lots of caning and lots Mm -hmm. of rattan. And that's been around for a little while. But, you know, and I think, well, why is that come back? And I remember (laughs) seeing... You know, that Pierre Jean Array chair, which, you know, was been revived like four or five years ago. Now it's almost a cliche. It's in so many <laughs> houses. But it was caning. And I think there's that, that moment. And I'd love to get a sense, Patty, from you. How do people know which period in history to look back on? Italian mid-century, Joe Ponte, that's been very big for like five or seven years now. Exactly. But what are they looking at now? And what are you going to be seeing coming ahead? Well, what we've noticed is that it's not necessarily just one. What we are seeing is people are kind of mixing and matching them now to speak Mm -hmm. to your whole idea about caning. We certainly see that as part of this overarching trend that deals with master craftsmanship. We want to get back to things that are handmade where you can see the hand of the maker, but also understand that there was there's skill there. It's not so much about that DIY loving hands at home, but that it really is about master craftsmanship because it's about quality. We want it to last. It's the kind of thing now where we didn't used to, there's a whole general generation that didn't really think about passing things on. And now they really are paying more attention to quality. And that's a huge shift that happened during COVID. So that's a big one. Oh, that's so interesting because I think that also ties into sustainability, which is something we've talked about here as well. You know, people not things shouldn't be disposable. And, you know, one of my big bugaboos about contemporary society is that there's not enough respect paid to artisans and craftsmen. And I know so many designers tell me they have trouble finding them, and we need to support that. So I find that very encouraging, that this idea of the touch of the hand is real. And, you know, but touch of the hand of somebody who knows what he's doing. What they're doing, doing, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Crafts aren't going away for sort of the little loving, you know, what we right. call the, the DIYs and the loving right. hands at home. Right. But what we're really talking about is beautiful furniture, beautiful right. lighting, right. beautiful products right. for the home that are made by right. people who know what they're doing and in many instances have been doing it for, you know, generations right. and right. generations and generations. And so you see the same thing in beautiful wood. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing it come through an interesting forging of new, of metal in different ways, you know, so metal pieces have more warmth to them mm-hmm. than they've had in the past. So yeah, a lot of those sort of natural materials that people have traditionally worked with their hands. Right. And there's certainly the same thing with ceramics, right. glass blowing right. has right. huge, you know, which has moved from not just being a beautiful vase, but extraordinary kinds of light, you know, and with LEDs, you can do so much more with art and light combinations, right. you know, things like that. Right. So that's what we're really seeing. Right. Well, that actually ties into two things that I want to ask Sasha and Tiffany about. They've been trends for a while and are they going to continue? And one of them I, I wrote down was brass and warm metals. Those warmer colored metals, I think, are interesting. And the other thing that's been huge in the last 10 years, at least, is the dramatic lighting piece, the pendant light or, you know, Leslie Edelman and all the, you know, apparatus, all the very dramatic 
lighting fixtures. So do you guys, like, Sasha, let's start with you. Do you think those are still going to continue? Do people still appreciate that? And is a warmer metals going to be a continuing thing in your work? Yeah, I hope so. What I love about metal finishes is I always specify a living finish. I like when something develops a patina, you can tell a hand has been on the doorknob and left its mark. So that's always been something that I tend to encourage my clients to select. I never want, you know, the lacquered finish or the finish that's just static. So I hope that the warmer metals are something that stays. I think it feels warmer. I think that it really develops a warmer patina with regards to lighting. I tend not to do new lighting. I really love vintage and antique lighting. And I think that has become a signature of my work that we, you know, use Cherish and other resources to find really unique lighting that you know nobody else will have and play with the scale and the craftsmanship and the texture of the glass and the way the metal is patinated. That's something that I think functions like artwork within the home. And so I tend not to use a lot of new lighting, Uh but I Mm -hmm. think that really... That's where I encourage my clients to invest when they're, you know, determining where to allocate their budget. I think that really has more like bang for your buck in terms of mm-hmm. what it does for a space. Mm-hmm. And just Tiffany, to go back to, or Patty, I'm sorry, to go back to what you said with like the craftsmanship. I live in a vintage home. And when we were repainting our home, the painter was like, you know, we're going to do everything to make your molding perfect and to repaint your cabinets. And I was like, I don't want anything sprayed. I want to see the brush marks. And they were like, you're crazy. And so you're, they were like, that costs more money. You want to spend more money to make it look not perfect. And that was like mind blowing at the time. But at more and more, when we specify that for clients, they understand it and they want that hand painted, the visible brush stroke, the idea that someone actually painted the millwork, I think is really special and important and timeless. Yeah. And and that's certainly a change from all the lacquered rooms that were so big 10 years ago. I mean, you know, the perfect lacquer that had to take 14 coats of whatever and sanding in between and all that. So that's very interesting. Tiffany, what about your clients? I mean, I think of LA, you know, my provincial view of LA is that drama is really important and, you know, Bold lighting is something that, you know, I think of as yes. being very successful in LA. Is that still true? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think kind of hitting upon what they were both talking about, it's like the organic stuff and, you know, the unlacquered brass and like the patinas. I feel like clients are way more invested of the story of things nowadays. They're interested in the backstory of the vintage, where it came from. It's more important to them to talk about those stories. It's like, to see the lacquer and the patina develop over time and know that story and be part of it and have it live on. So, and same with the craftsmanship of what you were saying, Patty, it's like, you know, trends to me, it's like, it's always shown kind of in a negative light, but essentially like trends are changing. I almost feel like the word's slightly different now because you're right. There is something with trends and like a trend can be timeless. You know, you can... I mean, brass is timeless in in my opinion, you know, a beautiful, big lighting is timeless in my opinion, in the right space, in the right scale, in the right moment. But I do feel like trends can be something that's positive and classic, you know? And yeah, I think my clients are very interested in the big drama and that's probably not gonna go away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And I hope it doesn't going back to the whole cinematic interiors. There's something very you know, beautiful and whimsical and 
you know, going back to like dreaming, I love that my clients are interjecting more into the design than before. You know, there's not a lot of like big move the best moments anymore. Like they really want to participate and they want their personalities to be reflective of design. They're involved. They're very involved now. And they're, you know, it's very emotional to them to be involved. And and I love that. That sounds very encouraging to me because I mean, Listen, if there's a designer that you know and love and you love their work and you might say to them, I trust you, do what you want to do, that's fine. But I think it's so really encouraging that more and more people want to know this story, want to know the source, want to be part of it. Oh, I like this. I, why? Maybe they don't know why they like it, but they figure exactly. it out through the process. Yeah, you know. they, they know how they want to feel in the space. And that's that's the one easy thing with all my clients. You know, I want to feel a certain way or I like the texture of that, but I don't understand it. And then you know, we bring that to life of like, like I said, going back to a song or an old fashioned line from 1970s. You know, we're doing a house right now where we're bringing this old Masoni campaign and the whole entire room is going to be this Masoni campaign. But it's just, I guess there's a little bit more fun being had right now. It feels Mm -hmm. like a little less safe. Right, right. People are more willing to try things. Yeah. That's very encouraging. Yeah. And Patty, I wanted to ask you, and I think that ties in what you were saying about emotion, because if a mood is about emotion, then it's the client's emotion should be reflected there, not necessarily only the designer. But I wanted to ask you about really what is, I guess, the, the first thing that people think of with trends. I wanted to hold off on it until we discussed a lot of other things, but, you know, it's the elephant in the room, color. Mm-hmm. So. We've been seeing for the past five years or so lots of intense jewel tones. I mean, white, I think, is still huge, but is fading out. You see it in a lot of the the real estate ads, all white interiors, not the most practical, but maybe in L.A. where the sun is so strong or Florida makes a lot of sense. But, you know, that seems to be we're getting a little bit away from that. But do you think that these is beige back? Is, uh, beige is back. Apparently, is it going to stay? And what about all these rich colors? Do you think the mo- more moody? Do you think that's going to continue? Is that are we going to be seeing that in products as we move ahead in the next year or two? Well, certainly, yeah. Color has plays a big role now, and and now probably even more than ever because we've been so forced to be in our spaces for so long. We're really understanding <laughs> what we like and what we don't like about color. I just did re- the Maison report that I just from mm-hmm. the September edition just gave it this morning. That's from Maison Objet in Paris. Maison Objet in Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was very interesting because in shopping the shows here, to your point, there were tons of white sofas, which Mm -hmm. I was really surprised by because we are spending more time lounging around on them, Mm -hmm. you know, and watching movies and all of that. And why would someone want a white sofa? But there's several things that come into play around that. The first is that the materials, the fabrics have now been able to be treated in different ways. And so they're stain resistant. And so that allows you to have a white sofa. Yes, exactly. That, That is stain resistant and has all of these other properties, which is wonderful. There's also this sense of what we've been calling kind of a clean slate idea in terms of a, a you know a new blank canvas as we move forward out of the pandemic. And so people like these clean, fresh 
kinds of feelings and you can always accessorize with color. So that's one thing to say with regard to the color white. The other thing is white or black really shows the form of something off so wonderfully and, and you don't get distracted by anything else. But in terms of palettes of color or colors that we see being important, there certainly still re- continues to be a focus on the warm side of the palette. So we're seeing warmer, sunnier yellows. We're seeing the orange family that's deepened and reddened and warmed into those terracottas and on the soft side, the corals. One of the most important families of color that will continue to be important into 2023 and beyond. And I think for quite some time now is the family of greens, where those elemental kinds of greens, herbal kinds of greens, we call them essential, we call them herbal, we call them elemental, but they're those things that really touch us as humans, that ground us, that are nourishing to our you know, our souls. And so any any sort of range of green is really good. And then those mid-range blues, like you know the beautiful sort of midday sky blues, the chambrays that are sort of the color of the jeans that we've mm-hmm. been lounging around mm-hmm. in that are worn and well-loved and, you know, all of that. So those mid-range blues. And then there's this wonderful palette that I just saw for the first time really in this particular iteration in Maison, which I we call the creamy confections, which if you think of the color of macarons from France, right. that Lottery. wonderful white and yes. creaminess to a mm-hmm. mid-range tone of color, it's really optimistic. It's really hopeful and cheerful, and you're not committed to too much. And then the base of those is not so much the beige as we're seeing more of the warmer browns, mm-hmm. you know, that are replacing gray, which has been so ubiquitous for yeah, so gray long. gray was inescapable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we we do see a move again with the warm tones into right. the warm side of the palette right. for the neutrals right. as well. Right. And one of the newest ones is something we call grain, which is a little more yellow casted, and one we call rooted, which was a dustier kind of brown, darker than taupe and more rich, but oh, really with that idea of grounding us. And then you can pile on either pastels or mid-tones or brights, depending right. on your aesthetic. Because right. it is interesting. I mean, this happens on the fashion runways too. Sometimes, you know, it's in the air, you know, every Everybody does their own collection, but then you'd see, oh, five designers did turquoise or whatever. And I remember one year at Maison, I swear every item was either gray or orange or a combination thereof. You know, it's like it does become ubiquitous. So it's so interesting what you're saying about these colors as we move ahead. And, you know, Sasha, I'd love to know what palettes you're thinking about, what colors your clients are responding to. And also, and I'm going to ask you this as well, Tiffany, what periods you're looking at now from the past that you think are going to be influential? So in terms of color, I think color is so personal. So Mm -hmm. I don't think of color so much as trending as people having like a knee-jerk response or emotional connectivity to certain colors. Like I'll have clients come to me and say like, I don't like oranges, I love blues. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I like green. So I have greens of all shades around my own home. Someone leaves me to my own, you know, selections. I'll always always gravitate towards green. But I think I never like to exclude a category. And I'll have clients say things like, I don't like stripes, or I don't like even stripes, or I never like blue. And I'm always like, let's not like totally Mm -hmm. take out a whole category because maybe it's an accent or maybe it works with something. Or sometimes you gravitate towards colors you wouldn't normally gravitate towards. Like, I love the color yellow. Sometimes they don't know what they like until they really think about it or exposed to it, right. Or see it in comparison with another color. Like, I'm not really a pink person, but I actually have had more and more clients request like a blush tone. Mm -hmm. And I do think it looks really pretty in combination with other colors or with certain palettes and can feel very sophisticated and warm and not like baby girl pink. So 
I like all the colors and I encourage my clients to keep an open mind, but also, you know, have the colors that they make them feel good in their home. Right. Well, as Stephen Sills once told me, there's no such thing as an ugly color. It's all about how it's used, you know, and I think that's kind of true. true. But at the same time, you know, like there was that one year, if you didn't want it in gray, you didn't want it in orange, you were kind of stuck, you know? So it's it's a hard mix, you know? I mean, hopefully a lot of people obviously loved orange at that point, and gray we know has been ubiquitous, and I'm happy to see we're shifting away from that. So Tiffany, how about you with you? What are you looking at now that you're thinking is going to influence your work, whether it's a historical period or an artist's work or a TV show or, you know, like I've been watching that show with Ellie Fanning called The Great, where she plays Catherine the Great. Yes, I love that show. The sets and the clothes. I mean, for that alone. I was taking screenshots to show a client. (laughs) I think the way that they did the color combinations was brilliant. I love that show. It's so funny. So, what about you, Tiffany? Oh, gosh. This is so endless. This is my favorite thing. But, for, but first off, I will say no one's allowed to ask me for blush for a while. I'm on hiatus from blush. So my clients... I did Millennial so much, pink. Oh, right? I have blush, right? I did so much last year. I literally told my clients, I love it. I love pink. It's beautiful, but you're not allowed to ask me. I will I will suggest another color, you know, right. in, in that. Right. But I so think... So that trend is over. But, no, it, never. But it's, it's not. never over. Never it, over, but it's in abeyance. It's It's never over. It's also this kind of like a lot of my female clients, like it just feels good to have a pink room. They all want this beautiful pink room. It's always a great color to work on. But as far as colorways, I mean, I am still loving, one of my clients always jokes that like, my blood must be the color of rust and moody blue because those two colors, I just love them together <laughs> so much. Mm-hmm. And I think like the 70s Italian, French, that is what I love the most. And in early 80s, and I, I still love me a good jewel tone and a moody. And I what Patty said about the creams and the spectrum with that, I'm using a lot of different tones in that way. And, you know, using more like cream on cream tweed with maybe some metallic thread through it. And my inspiration is, I'll tell you what I'm obsessed with right now is the Let It Be documentary with the Beatles. Uh Uh-huh, right. Peter Jackson's documentary, right? Okay, I'm obsessed. To watch that type of creative process is just like mind-blowing. But most importantly, their outfits. Can we talk about their clothes? I'm literally, I, I am literally like Sasha was saying, I'm like screenshotting everything and I, I'm bringing their whole wardrobe, like the furs and the, you know, the, the cognac colors, the browns, right. like the, that color is kind of a really nice foundational color. I feel like that kind of seventies rock. It's just, it's very inspiring to me. And I feel like my clients are really, really asking for that right now. But yeah, that would be something I'm watching that I that I love. You know, old David Lynch or In the Mood for Love. Kind of mm-hmm. these, these beautiful old like blue velvet, those type of moods, like these kind of like sensual tones is what mm-hmm. I'm really into right now. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> I'm all sexy colors all the way. Okay, great. Great. So, like, just to sum up, Patty, what do you see? You know, it's one thing to say designers can create individual clients and, you know, you have budgets that allow you to express things and and tailor them to that client and really do it. But what do you think is going to translate to the mass market? I'd just be curious as what you think. You know, like you were saying, the kind of, 
handmade touch of the hand thing. And that can be machine made to emulate that. You know, Unfortunately. You, can go, you can go to Crate and Barrel and you can see hammered metals and stuff, you yes. know, which is fine. It's great. You can get that on all price points. What else do you see translating into the marketplace? Well, it's interesting. I think there is a, I've been talking to several other forecasters and, and listening in on and reading lots of articles in the last few weeks about sort of where we're going to go past 2022 and into 2023. And there's always kind of two sides to stories. So there are those that, I, you know, for us, I think we're definitely going to see trickling down or just being ubiquitous in general, that whole feeling of nature inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is going to continue because we as all human beings, no matter what, you know, economic level we happen to be at, there's a resonance within our very souls and within ourselves that resonates there. So I think that natural inspiration is going to come through in many things. What I do see happening that's moving down is a cleanliness, a cleaning up of space. Mm-hmm. You know, there's big trends that, that that sort of triggered that with Japandi, that Scandinavian and Japanese influence coming together and things. And I do see that there is some scaling back, certainly that idea of multifunctional mm-hmm. that Sasha was talking about, where spaces need to transition. That happened for everybody, no matter what your economic status was. So we're going to see those multifunctional spaces and furniture and products that can adapt like that. Uh, are going to be a huge trend going forward because we're not all rushing back to the office even when things open up. So there will still be an element of that. We definitely see the idea of even if it's machine made, still being focused on the idea of sustainability mm-hmm. and the idea of moving away from fast fashion, even in the home where you could buy something and, you know, get rid of it next. It's not going to be that kind of, of approach, I think, from our own intrinsic value systems. Right. So those are the kinds of things, certainly as a base level, I would say, I right. can see. Right. And Sasha and Tiffany, I'd love to know from you guys if there's anything, in light of what Patty was just saying, especially, is there anything that you're going to want to avoid for the next year or two? <laughs> blush. <laughs> okay, blush, that's good. Very good. How about you, Sasha? I've been steering clients away from the, like back to the multi-purpose room, from the, like the single function room. Like nobody's doing movie rooms anymore. Something that like is just a room that functions for one purpose. Like we would, now we're using that room for, you know, a flexible kind of multifunctional modular sofa that you could watch a movie from there. You could also host game night or you could do, you know, you could move all the sofa away and do other things. So I think what I'm encouraging clients to do is really think about things from a different perspective and not such a like honed in purpose for a space. Right. Great. So no more gift wrapping rooms, (laughs) which I don't think ever really caught on. Uh, I live in LA though, so never say no. Never say never. In LA, you never know, Candy Spelling. I know. I have learned so much from you wonderful women in this episode, and I really want to thank you. I think what I'm going to do is go and get some reclaimed wood and paint it myself (laughs) in a a shade of a La Durée macaron to make a piece of furniture, because then I will be totally on trend. But no, thank you so much to Patty Carpenter, to Sasha Adler, and to Tiffany Howell, my wonderful guests. And thank everybody for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. 
and we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Oh,